have I got a good show for you today. Welcome back to the All Things All People podcast. My name's Jeremy, and I'm your host. Today, I have Foley Beach on the podcast. Now, you might not know Foley Beach, um, and if you're not Anglican, specifically from the Anglican Church in North America, you probably don't know who Foley Beach is. But after this podcast, I think that you are going to understand that Foley Beach is an important voice in evangelicalism and Christianity today. So uh, you're going to hear in his really impressive intro whenever I'm actually talking to him, all of the things that he's done and been a part of and, and is doing now. But basically what I want you to know is that Foley Beach is the Archbishop of the Anglican Church of North America. And it's sort of a long story as to how he got to be in that position. But the Cliff Notes is essentially this, that the Episcopal Church in the United States began to make uh, decisions in regards to homosexuality that was unbiblical in Foley Beach's eyes and in the eyes of most conservative Christians all over the world. And in fact, most Christians all over the world. And Foley Beach stood up. Foley Beach stood up and along with uh, many other men and women said that they weren't okay with this and he fought it. And after the Episcopal Church made the decision officially to recognize uh, homosexual bishops, uh, he left. And, and, it's, and it's a dramatic story and you're going to hear pieces of it today. And I mean, to the point where he literally performed a funeral. And when I first learned about uh, Archbishop Beach, I, I, I knew I, I had to get him on the show. He was actually at the top of my list of people that I wanted to get on this show. And if you've been following along, you know, we, we, we've had some impressive people so far. We have some really impressive people coming up. But I wanted you to meet Archbishop Foley Beach because uh, in a very short amount of time, he's become somebody that I greatly admire. And I hope that you will, too. He's super interesting. So in this show, we're going to talk about some Anglican stuff, some some high church stuff. Um, and if you're not Anglican, you might be tempted to kind of say, well, this one's not for me. I promise you it is because uh, Foley Beach is a modern day reformer. He is standing up in the face of persecution, in the face of uh, unpopularity in a way that certainly challenges me and I think will challenge you too. And so I hope that you really enjoy it. If you like the show, make sure to rate it. If you're on iTunes, give it five stars and a nice little anecdote of what it means to you. And if you're not on iTunes, share it, like it, subscribe, whatever it is. There's so many different podcast apps. It's impossible to follow nowadays, but uh, share it with a friend, share it on, on Facebook and all those other things. And make sure to follow me at allthings.allpeople uh, on Instagram and uh, would love to interact with you there. Hit me with questions and uh, things that you have going on in your life that you'd love some insight to because we do some Q&A and uh, really more question and discussion episodes on the show. And so uh, keep following along. We have some amazing guests coming up. Um, can't wait to share them with you. But really, my biggest thing today is I want you to listen to the conversation. I was blessed to have with the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America, Foley Beach. So let's get to another Christian thinker. My guest today was elected the Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America on June 22nd, 2014. He is also the Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of the South, headquartered near Atlanta, Georgia. 
In June of 2018, he was elected by archbishops from around the world to chair the Primates Council of the Global Anglican Future Conference, otherwise known as GAFCON, which is a renewal movement within the Anglican Communion. He is a graduate of Georgia State University, the University of the South, and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and he actually began his ministry by serving teenagers through a ministry called Young Life. And it's my honor to have Archbishop Foley Beach on the show today. Archbishop, thank you so much for joining me today. It is great to be here and a um, real honor and privilege. Glad, yeah. glad to be able to be a part of this. Yeah, yeah. And I, it was, I worked very hard to have you. I hope that my persistence in trying to get you on uh, was, was well taken. But you were one of the first people when I put this together. I said, I really want to make sure people hear his, his voice and what he has to say. So I very much appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, so that listeners know, um, Archbishop Beach is, is very well connected on the world of the internet and social media. Obviously, the ACNA has a great website and social media presence themselves, but you can find them at Foley.Beach on, on Instagram and uh, Archbishop Foley Facebook page. He also has a radio ministry, which now has branched into all sorts of other types of media. A Word from the Lord, which you can check that out awardfromthelord.org, and GAFCON, which is going to make up a good bit of what we talk about today. Uh, it has a great website, gafcon.org. Uh, Archbishop, uh, you, I, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show is when, the, when people throw around the word evangelical, I think that they, they usually mean somebody who maybe is um, less high church than, than, than you even, um, at least in the United States. And for listeners, we're going to throw around the words high church and low church a little bit. It's not an insult, um, but uh, churches like the Anglican Fellowship and Tradition uh, that follow the church calendar are typically considered high church. And churches such as mine, which is a contemporary Baptist church, are sometimes called low church. Um, but you are a, a leading voice in evangelicalism, and, and it's largely part uh, of uh, the stands that you've made that we're going to talk about. Um, how do you see yourself in the United States as a church leader? Um, is it difficult for you to to speak to some of the other evangelical community because you are from a high church setting, or do you feel like you you fit in pretty well? Actually, it's that's that's a very interesting question. We're very, you know, the word evangelical has gotten yes. so political politicized today, and. Um, you know, what do you actually mean by that? Yeah. And uh, I think those of us who are consider ourselves evangelical uh, use the term in the sense of a, a theological perspective that we um, hold to the authority of Scripture and the, the person of Jesus Christ uh, is high on our list mm -hmm. as far as the priorities of what our ministry is about. And so as far as relating to other evangelicals, I find we get along great and um, I'm invited to be a part of different fellowships and that sort of thing. But a lot of that is because of our common love for Jesus Christ. And yes. um, I think because of our stand um, on the authority of scripture, a lot of evangelicals actually reached out to us wow. uh, seeking to develop relationship and ecumenical relations. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned your stand for biblical scripture and, and, and a lot of other things that we're going to unpack um, in 2004. And I know this is, you get talked to quite a bit about this, but I'm sure it's a, not something that you enjoy revisiting because I'm sure it was a very difficult time in your life. But the Episcopal Church, which you essentially grew up in, uh, began in 2004 to officially affirm the ordination of non-celibate uh, homosexual priests and bishops. And you actually left the Episcopal Church. At that time, you wrote, 
The church which taught me the gospel has now adopted a new gospel, which reduces Jesus to nothing more than one option among many. The church which introduced me to the word of God has now rewritten the word of God to placate cultural and political pressures put upon it by intellectual extremists, which uh, I'm sure that those were not easy words to write. Um, after this, is it true that you actually performed a funeral liturgy at your church for the Episcopal Church after that decision was made in 2004? <laughs> yes, it is. And I can't believe I did that. Um, mm. We were, um, in, in the way the Episcopal Church hierarchy is, or our ecclesiology, they have an event every year called General, Con or every three years called General Convention. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was going to be the presenting issue, whether or not a, a man who uh, was in a partnership was going to be able to be consecrated a bishop. Mm -hmm. And um, and that decision came out. It was in August of 2003. Wow, that seems like so long ago. <laughs> it is. Um, and um, and so I, I want to say that was on a Tuesday or Wednesday during that week. And so, you know, I'm seeking the Lord all week. Lord you know, how are we going to address this on Sunday? Because my phone was ringing off the hook. People were in tears. What's happened to our church on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And I'm out running on a Friday night and, um, and praying and just saying, Lord, you know, what do I do on Sunday? Mm -hmm. And it just was clear. I heard him say, do the funeral liturgy. And so we did. And, uh, the, uh, uh, uh church response is very cathartic because it was very emotional um, but the church we had known was no longer. Yeah. And, um, and so anyway, yes, I, I did that. And, uh, it's interesting. They actually changed the name after that. It was, uh, the official name of the church changed. Really? Yeah. Well, and I'm sure you look back on that now and, um, it sounds as if you don't regret it, but it's a difficult time. Um, just for, cause I have a lot of listeners who have never stepped foot in an Anglican church. And so they might, you know, in my, in my tradition, and I, I have a very diverse, I grew up EL, I actually grew up ELCA Lutheran. Um, and then I got my undergraduate from Liberty university. <laughs> and so I, there's a wide theological spectrum that I had to go through. And so I have a similar, I've had similar experiences of having to look at my, my home church and go, Oh goodness, you know, how far have we strayed? Um, but many people don't have a high church background. And so for them, just to understand what we're talking about, uh, in, in the, the burial rite of what is actually the 2019 Book of Common Prayer that the ACNA commissioned, it's, it uses words such as this, into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant. Acknowledge, we humbly beseech you, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming, receive him into the arms of your mercy and into the blessed rest of your everlasting peace. Uh, these, are, these really are words. I, I don't know if you said those exact words back in 2003, um, but something like it. Uh, words like that are said during times of grief. I would imagine you were grieving the church that you had grown up in. Absolutely. I, you know, I can't remember the exact, you know, how much uh, we used of the service. I know we, we began it. We did a lot of the prayers uh, for, the, for the people who have died. And so I probably did use that, that prayer. Mm -hmm. the, the liturgy is designed to... Um, you know, one of the things that in the Anglican tradition, um, it's often been said, we marry you well and we bury you well. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the service is, is so rich biblically mm -hmm. um, and historically and, and, and draws people in in a way to uh, allow folks to express their grief mm -hmm. um, and to be able to move on. And also to, uh, you know, what we're trying to do there as well as commit the person to the Lord um, and uh, allow um, uh, intellectually and emotionally to, to 
to acknowledge that that person's in the Lord's presence now. Yeah. I found that very much to be true. Actually, uh, I've not done many, I've not been involved in many funerals, but even in a Baptist setting, I've used the book of common prayer and, 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 uh, the liturgies because I have found that they are very cathartic and they allow people to put a place marker in their life to say, this is when I said goodbye. And so your congregation in some form or fashion at that moment began to say goodbye to the Episcopal church. And it led through a very roundabout way that I've heard you share about many times um, to the formation of the ACNA or the Anglican church in North America. Um, What's most interesting to me, and I think not enough people know this, is that the formation of the ACNA was actually the 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 bishops of the global south, as we would call them. Um, sometimes people would call it the third world, but Africa, South America, Asia. There were bishops all over the world who were instrumental in the formation of the ACNA. What could you kind of give us some insight as to what the involvement of the global south bishop was like? Sure. Uh, I think one of the things to um, understand about Anglican, by the way, we are a, a broad, I mean, how to say, we we're not necessarily high church. Sure. We have yeah. a breadth of, of, um, of tradition. We have uh, some that are high church that you'd say are more Catholic than the Catholics. Mm-hmm. Uh, some low church, evangelical, charismatic, contemporary. I mean, it's just amazing the diversity within. Yeah, it's our a really Anglican. beautiful thing. I've, I've seen a, a wide example and it's, it's a great thing. But when a number of us uh, left, uh, began to leave in 2004, uh, because we could no longer be under bishops who uh, were preaching basically immorality and and some would say heresy, especially when it comes to theological things. Um, Because we're a global fellowship, we began to seek oversight under other uh, archbishops and bishops around the Anglican world um, off the shores of the United States. Now, this was unprecedented because yes. typically folks have honored each other's boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because the events that took place were so drastic and so um, apart from the Christian faith, a lot of these churches, and I, when I say churches, each is independent around you know, their own body, uh, broke fellowship with the Episcopal Church. And so um, a number of us went overseas. And so my bishop actually was the Bishop of Bolivia. Uh, wow. under the province of Southern Cone, which is South America. Mm-hmm. And um, and so here I was in Atlanta, Georgia, under a bishop that was a nine-hour flight away. So it's actually fascinating because actually I would act, he actually ministered to me more and uh, was closer than, than the bishop who was just an hour away. It's fascinating mm-hmm. how all that worked. But in 2008, a lot of these Global South bishops gathered in Jerusalem for an event called GAFCON, Global Anglican Future Conference, to try to discern, you know, what is the future of the Anglican Communion in all of this? And uh, during that event, um, they called for a new province, a new church in North America. Um, And so they called forth the Anglican Church in North America. And so the next year, 2009, uh, we were formed. And so really our roots um, are in um, the Global South. And uh, once we were formed, a lot of those Global South churches began to transfer us back um, under this new um, ecclesiastical structure called the Anglican Church in North America. And so we've continued those relationships. And um, as we've become international um, here in, the nor- in North America, uh, our churches have become international with folks yeah. from literally all over the world attending our churches. Yeah. And, and I think it's one of the most interesting things I've seen in 
the North American church recently is that as far as I know, this is maybe the largest essentially missionary movement from the global South into the United States uh, is that they saw a need and established men such as yourself to lead either a new church or a renewal church. I don't know exactly how you might phrase that, but one or the other, if not both. And so it's really an amazing thing. Do you think that churches, fellowships such as the ACNA are uniquely suited to minister during this time where um, we, we are so divided racially at the very, at the moment. Um, and I see churches such as yourself that were essentially planted by global South bishops. Do you feel as if you, you are uniquely suited to minister in this environment? That's a great question. I think, you know, we are attempting to um, speak into what we're seeing happen in the culture, uh, you know, out of our own experience. But, but to be honest, our, um, you know, a lot of the issues we're seeing are uh, with African-American folks mm-hmm. uh, feeling like they haven't been treated and, and rightly so right. um, fairly. And, uh, and just, and, and that's a different culture from a lot of the global South folks. Sure. So it's really, so even though a number of our churches are filled with um, uh, folks from African descent from around the world and, and, uh, and other places, we don't have a lot of African Americans mm-hmm. in our churches. Yeah. And so we've got work to do there. Yeah. Especially well, in our leadership. Well, and I, and I would say just as somebody who, who, who despite the fact that I'm not Anglican, I, I do have a special sp- spot in my heart for the Anglican tradition. If anybody's listening to this, who uh, feels as if there's too much Anglo in Anglicanism, uh, I would say that the ACNA is a great example of, of a movement that is at least attempting to become more multicultural while also not sacrificing uh, the, the authority of scripture and, and whatnot. And so I, I, I'm a great admirer of what has happened. Um, and so I think uh, it's amazing to see that really this tradition, like I said, comes from, in, in a roundabout way, comes from a long tradition of, uh, of people out of the Church of England and, and traditions like that. I read somewhere that John Stott is one of your greatest influences theologically, also one of mine. Um, and we lost last week J.I. Packer, who was the editor of the ACNA Catechism, I know. Um, it, in reviving, at least in the United States, uh, a tradition that pr- produced Stott, C.S. Lewis, and J.I. Packer, do you ever feel pressure to carry on Anglican theology in a culture that's not very familiar with it? Um, living in the South, um, people oftentimes, uh, when I say I'm a pastor of, or now I'm Archbishop, but yeah. of an Anglican church, you, you get all kind of funny looks and people don't even, because people don't know what it is. Right. Um, and so there's, a, there's that identification piece, but no, you know, we're trying to stay focused on the gospel mm-hmm. and, and proclaiming Jesus Christ and leading folks into a, a dynamic relationship with him and then and discipling folks and in, in, in following him in the kingdom of God. Um, with a good biblical base. And so that's the focus and all yeah. the rest of it is, is uh, how do I call it? Uh, icing on the cake. I, I don't know what yeah. the right word is, but our sure. focus is, has really been to try to stay focused on, on Jesus and, and keep him the center of what we're doing. Um, and uh, we happen to come out of that English reformation period. Um, and that's our roots and that's who we are, but that doesn't mean we have the whole picture. 
Sure. I think it is interesting though. I, you know, I pastor in the South as well, and I don't think many American Christians realize that many of their favorite authors and theologians and the people who have formed, uh, evangelicalism in the United States. And you said it is a politicized word, but the way you and I are using it, a lot of those, those men and women were Anglican. <laughs> and I don't think enough Americans realize that. And it's a very ri uh, rich and vibrant theological background that you're a part of. Well, um, I don't know if it's still the case, but in the Baptist symbol, number one used to be holy, holy, holy. Mm -hmm. That was written by an Anglican bishop. Yeah. Uh, Amazing Grace, uh, written by an Anglican priest. I mean, you just go down the list yeah. of, of, of the influence. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but but again, we live in a time where really people could care less about the denominations. <laughs> yeah. They want to see how this God um, is going to touch their lives, mm -hmm. um, if that's even possible in their mind. And so uh, we... We we try to disciple folks into the Anglican world, but the but the focus is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, and I and I think that that's like you said, coming from the rich background that you you do come from, it's it's only icing on the cake. It's just a nice cherry on top to be able to to look back at some of those men and women and know that you're part of something that has changed the world and hopefully will continue uh, to change the world. Which I know you're. You might not feel like you're changing the world, but I, I see it in the in the movement. Um, I uh, I think it's very interesting. Uh, I, I I use the Book of Common Prayer in my own personal devotion, having kind of a, a hybrid background myself denominationally, and uh, I lead I lead trips outside of COVID nineteen uh, pandemic time. I, I lead trips all over the world, um, and uh, and oftentimes when I'm when I'm in places, South Asia, especially where I'm leading a team and people are having a hard time praying and worshiping because it's just so overwhelming uh, as I'll take them to the book of common prayer, because I've told them uh, it's like when you listen to music and you listen to the studio version and you listen to the live version. And sometimes you enjoy listening to the live version because you hear other people singing. And I've said that using the book of common prayer is, is comforting for me because I know that millions of Christians all around the world are praying the same office as I am that morning. And at my loneliest times, I feel as if I'm not alone. Um, I, I don't, what's interesting to me is I don't imagine young life was using the book of common prayer very often when you were uh, coming up as, as a minister and whatnot. What was it like leaving a, a, or I should say migrating from a faith tradition that maybe wasn't using the book of common prayer and then it becoming such a large part of your life. What was that like? I was at a point in my devotional life where I was memorizing scriptures and praying them in my, my prayers for people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I began to attend the, uh, the at that point the Episcopal church and realized so many of the prayers from the liturgy were right out of scripture, it, mm -hmm. this opened a, a door. Uh, yeah. But by the way, young life, which really uh, I'm not, sure what they're doing now but they had a sequence in their talk series um and it's, as it turns out it's based on john stott's basic christianity oh, yeah and uh he's got four basic categories and and that was the outline of the young life talk series so actually mm -hmm. it, it was influencing young life yeah absolutely well it's like i said it's when people really start digging in it's uh men like stott and uh packer and some of these other have influenced all all aspects of of the, with the Western church, I suppose. Um, how, how much of it, it, you know, I know obviously as an archbishop, whenever you get the chance to, uh, be in a diocese and, or a parish, it's, 
it is everything you do on a Sunday for, for more of the high church settings, but how much of the book of common prayer is part of your personal devotion? Well, um, every day I'm, I'm praying the daily office or a version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the lectionary, which is, uh, for those who don't know what that is, it's a, it's an outline of the scriptures. Um, so every day there's certain scriptures you read and it takes you through the Bible. Um, and so that's part of my, my and also I find the, um, the, the actually the family devotions in the Book of Common Prayer uh, are, are really wonderful, um, even for your own personal life. Um, so I use it a lot. Um, sometimes when I'm I'm not sure how to pray about something, um, I go to the prayer section, the, some of the different prayers that, that are gathered through it from people throughout history, and uh, and that ministers to me a lot as well. Of course, um, you know it's used. We use the the liturgy during our worship services, but but personally, I just find it's very rich. Very, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not legalistic about it. Um, sure. You know, you don't want to become um, so ritualistic you miss God. I mean, our whole mm-hmm. purpose of our devotional time is fellowship with the Lord. Uh, you know, listening to Him, praying to Him, uh, and uh, and seeing what He has to say to us out of His Word. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to become so. Uh, what's the right word? Um, legalistic or um mm-hmm. f- formal about it i guess mm-hmm. sure. that, that we miss god in in the whole it's, it's a conduit to help us worship the lord absolutely i think that's a great way to say it i, I think um to non-anglicans in, in low church settings they would look at the book of common prayer as like you said ritualistic but it's a misconception i, I really do believe now anybody can become ritualistic there's I, I know plenty of baptists who are very ritualistic with what they do in their worship times and so it, anybody listening uh, in the same way that you would pick up a devotional book at Lifeway or something like that, I would encourage anybody who feels as if they, they'd like some guidance in their personal devotion to um, look at the Book of Common Prayer. And as, and as the Archbishop said, there's a, at the very back, there's a, a whole section where you know men like a, Thomas Aquinas and, and many others wrote these prayers however long ago. And, and like I said, and it makes me feel as if I'm not alone and, and I have words to say, um, which is, which is uh, comforting uh, very often. Um, I think one of the things that, that really helped me um, when I discovered Anglicanism was I, I had learned um, in my previous Christianity um, upbringing about the church after the Reformation. Mm. But for some reason, I didn't understand there was a church before the Reformation. <laughs> right. And, uh, and not all of it was bad. And, yeah. um, and so what a lot of traditions have done is just thrown out the whole church before the Reformation. Right. Um, what the Reformation actually did was re- renew the church and restore mm-hmm. into the church uh, things that, that had been dis- um, were being distorted or left out or even uh, ignored uh, from the scriptures. Yeah. But they yeah. didn't throw it all out. Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know how it is exactly in, in all of the Anglican tradition, but too often Protestants treat Christianity as if it started in the 16th and 17th centuries. And we sort of view everything before it as, as somebody else's history, but that is our history too. And we need to hold on to that because men like Luther uh, was trying to return to that. And, uh, and so, so yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that whatever denominational background somebody comes from, reading and listening and singing those, those hymns and, and, and prayers are completely instrumental. Um, I, I, w- I want to talk about the, the mission of GAFCON, which I know is extremely important to you and many other bishops all around the world. Um, recently, I think in 2016, in talking about another 
difficult decision that I, I believe the, the Anglican Church in Scotland had made. Uh, you, you said that the Gafcon primates, and for those listening who don't, that, that can be a funny word to a non-Anglican, but uh, primate is, is, is a leader in the Anglican tradition, to put it simply. But the Gafcon primates view the whole West as an open mission field. You said those words. Um, moving outside of strictly Anglican tradition and speaking to all of evangelicalism, as I've said, you, you are an evangelical leader. How should we be approaching this new season of pioneer missions in what is essentially the most evangelized part of the world ever. It's amazing that we're the most evangelized and yet um, we're, we're departing from it so quickly. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we have to um, lovingly speak the truth mm-hmm. um, and continue to speak the truth and not depart from the scriptures. It seems like we're living in a time with so many who even call themselves evangelicals because the culture is demanding something or teaching something or it's become politically correct or whatever, right. uh, give up uh, scriptural teaching and just walk away from it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is not what we're called to do. We're called to stand firm, to continue to teach the scriptures in love and care for people, uh, but not back down from, from our roots mm-hmm. um, and um, the authority of the word of God in our lives and, and in our world and, um, in our churches has, has got to be high. Mm-hmm. Um, he's given us his word to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, to instruct us, to, to, um, to, to help us. And yet we tend to walk away from it. So yeah. um, in the West um, we're seeing it more and more. And sadly, even among those who call themselves evangelicals folks mm-hmm. uh, walking away mm-hmm. and, um, and they're preaching a different Jesus. Yeah. Um, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Your friends that, you know, from the global South, um, which is a, you know, the rest of the world, we should say, um, how do they look at the United States right now? And, and, and if if I were to ask them, you know, what evangelism should look like in the United States, what, what, what advice would they give? Well, of course we're speaking right now in the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of of all of the, uh, the cultural unrest over, of race and, um, all this other violence. Uh, I think they're confused right now when they're looking at the West, to be honest with you, yeah. because it uh, still, even in the midst of all of our stuff, uh, the United States is looked as a around the world as a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Um, we would argue that, yeah. but from their perspective, where they have come from and, and the things they have experienced, that's been the viewpoint. And, um, and that vision is being destroyed. Uh, right before their eyes. Wow. Um, they, um, they understand what's happened in the church, um, especially in the Anglican church uh, or the Episcopal church here uh, very clearly. And, uh, and that's why they were willing to risk. And, uh, and a lot of them risked a lot because as soon as they broke a relationship with the Episcopal church, you know, in many of these places economically, um, you know, they struggle big time. Uh, And they literally cut themselves off from thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, and it hurt them bad. I mean, uh, it really did, but God was faithful and is faithful Mm -hmm. and has provided in their needs. Yeah. Well, and and you mentioned that they, they've broken away from uh, the Episcopal church as, as obviously um, in a way you have, I've read where you've said, I did not break away. I, I went, 
in the direction that the Episcopal Church should have been going. But um, I, I heard you speak of one time, I think it was in 2016, where you were with the Archbishop of Canterbury um, and many other leaders, primates from the Anglican tradition and even the Anglican communion. Um, and you, I remember hearing you talk about the things that you said uh, in regards to people asking what is going on in the United States. And, and I remember thinking, I can't, I can't believe he actually said that. And I can't believe he actually, um, was so honest in, in talking about the harm that the Episcopal church was doing to the, the church in the United States. And, um, and, and so for anybody who's listening, I know not everybody's familiar with what's, what's gone on in the last 15 years, but is it hard for you? <laughs> is it hard for you to Goodness gracious, you probably feel like you have a target on your back sometimes because you're you have been a voice of reform for such a long time now and I'm sure you've seen a lot of relationships dissolve, you've seen a lot of hurt towards you. Um has that, has that been a struggle for you for the last 15 years or so and 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 what's what's been your encouragement throughout that time? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. I really think that um you know, I didn't expect uh, people who had been longtime friends to just immediately discard you. Wow. Um, you know, especially folks who, uh, you know, talk about inclusive, you know, the, the lingo back then was in, being inclusive and you know, we want to include all perspectives. And well, it was all perspectives except yours. Uh, yeah. As soon as you expressed <laughs> yeah, yours, sure. then they wrote you off. And that was, that was very painful. Um, but you know, God is so faithful and mm-hmm. uh, you just, you have to lean into him and lean on him. And um, he he provides the protection uh, and what you need at the moment. And he, I can look back and see how he did that again and again and again. God has just been so faithful. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't really worry about, uh, you know, all the target stuff, you know, and, and what people say, although it can be very hurtful. Um, all I know is that um, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life, mm-hmm. not a way. Um, he is the way to the yeah. Father. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, sticking with him, I, you know, I'm going to do that to the day I die, Lord willing. Right. Well, and I, I, I'm, I greatly admire that. And, um, and I know I don't want to go too, too deep into it because there's other interviews and things that someone can listen to, to hear you tell those stories about the times where you've had to confront leaders from other faith traditions that, that have strayed. Um, you know, one thing I think is interesting uh, you said that the Anglican Church in North America, especially, is very diverse theologically and especially in worship. But every time I hear you talk about things like what you just said of how you have continued to face down this criticism, it seems to me that the guidance of the Holy Spirit is an integral part to your life and in the decisions that you've made over the last two decades. And yet you come from a faith tradition that is often mischaracterized as the Holy Spirit, you know, when you compare it to a charismatic background, some people might say that it, the Holy Spirit isn't as um, present or I don't know what they would say, but they're wrong because I hear you talk all the time, things like what you just said and the guidance. What place does the Holy Spirit have in these difficult times when you feel as, you know, we've said that you turn to the Book of Common Prayer when you don't know what to say, but do you find yourself just relying on the strength and grace and guidance of the Holy Spirit ter- during the last two decades? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, when we say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4, um, 13, really, if you analyze that verse, it's I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And literally, if you really break down the Greek, it's through the one who is empowering me. Mm. So it's, it's really the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and he is the key. 
Um, when the ACNA, the Anglican Church of North America, was formed, basically there were three distinct groups that, that came together. The, the, what we call the Anglo-Catholics, the more high church folks, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the evangelicals, which uh, emphasize uh, the authority of Scripture and Jesus, and the charismatics. Yeah. Um, those who uh, had an experience with the Holy Spirit uh, emphasize the renewal of the Holy Spirit. All three of those um, are part of who we are. And so um, we don't tend to highlight one or the other, although mm-hmm. some, um, you know, everybody tends to have their main focus, uh, but all three are, are integral because we believe, and, and I believe what the, the scriptures teach is that the Holy Spirit is just as important as yeah. these other things. Mm-hmm. And we cannot do our ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit. So I guess back to your question, I, I can't do it without the power. I don't, I look through my yeah. week uh, and I say, how, how did I do this? <laughs> I, I can't explain it other than the empowering of the spirit. Yeah. Which is a great encouragement. I think to people on the outside looking in, seeing that in this, this renewal movement that GAFCON is, is that it's, it's men and women who are seeking the guidance of the Holy spirit um, through a, what has really been a very difficult time. And in, Anglicanism, the Episcopal Church, we see the same thing happen and happening with the United Methodist Church right now at this very moment. Um, ha, just, just off the top, I mean, ha, have you been able to encourage anybody in some of these other movements that are going through similar things that you've gone through? Yes, um, through some of our relations with some of the other folks, um, they've actually reached out, and um, I've uh, been able to to share and talk and and, and encourage. Uh, through some of our experiences. But again, back to what you just asked, um, it's we have to follow the Holy Spirit and how mm-hmm. he's leading us at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, the GAFCON movement would not, I mean, it, it can't function. I mean, especially, if you think about it logically for a minute, you know, people from different time zones, different cultures, um, different even church experiences yeah. um, within Anglicanism, to, to have a movement together, uh, I mean, it's only by the Holy Spirit that this that it's even existing. I, I can't yeah. explain it any other way. The past that the fact that it's uh, most movements like your, the one you're involved in don't last 15 years. They last, right. you know, or, or, or they're more um, large esque. You know, if you look at Lausanne and things like that, they're not as, as nitty gritty as, as uh, GAFCON. And it's amazing to see that. I mean, I guess really you would say that y'all get along um, as well as you do because, because people do struggle. And that once again is evidence to me that the Holy spirit is in it because um, yeah, humans just don't play well together when we disagree theologically. Um, but but obviously you agree on the most important things. And like you said, that's that's what makes you evangelical. Um, you know, in regards to that tension, though, tension has been what has brought groups like the ACNA to where they are. Um, you said uh, in 2016, you said we wouldn't, in talking about disagreements, we wouldn't have the creeds if there weren't serious disagreement. We wouldn't have had the Reformation if people hadn't taken a stand. There were serious disagreements, yet, but yet those things brought the church to where it needed to be. Archbishop, you, you're a man who knows what it's like to stand up for the gospel and biblical truth in the face of making, maybe you probably have felt quite unpopular sometimes um, in rooms you've been in. And we're, we're in a time where there's only going to continue to be theological disagreement in the church globally, but especially the American church. Uh, in your humble opinion, what what do the next 20, 10 to twenty years look like in the American church, and and how would you encourage and challenge younger Christians who might be discouraged right now? 
Wow. I'm not a prophet, so I can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, An educated but, guess, if you will. Yeah. But my educated guess is, is persecution is mm. coming even more so. Wow. And, and, and when people are persecuted, they don't ask you if, um, I mean, an Islamic terrorist doesn't gonna, isn't going to ask if you're Anglican or if you're Catholic or if you're Baptist or if you're Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they won't know if you're Christian or if you're Muslim. Mm-hmm. And it seems like persecution has a way of drawing us uh, together. And, and I don't know if you just heard the thunder. I just had a lightning bolt go off right out. But persecution has a way of drawing us together and helping us set aside the, some of the minor differences uh, so that we can do the work of God. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so many of my uh, Global South friends, especially in Africa, are, are facing persecution in ways that we, we can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, for their, just just for, the, for the reason that they, are, they call themselves Christian. And I'm afraid, um, unless we have a, a, a true spiritual awakening in our country, that that's going to uh, happen more and more here. Uh, I mean, we've just seen in a lot of the protests, you know, they started out as, you know, a racial thing mm-hmm. and now they're, they're desecrating statues of Jesus and, um, and burning churches in different parts of the country. Um, and, uh, and I'm afraid that unless Christians, um, uh, begin to speak up and stand up, um, and, and be unapologetic about who they are in Jesus Christ, uh, we're going to see more and more of that mm-hmm. uh, here in this country. That being said, <laughs> that gives a great opportunity to lead folks to the Lord yeah. because people are searching, they're hungry, they realize the systems aren't working for them. And, and we have the, the answer, uh, not just for uh, the most important thing, eternal life, but for their, yeah. for their life, even at the, this moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think that uh, you're a great person to speak to that over the next, you know, however long it is that, you know, we all have to minister here. Um, just, you know, I just want to say thank you for the example that you're setting. Um, even from somebody who comes from a different, uh, denomination or faith tradition, whatever you you might call it. I I do think that you're a a great example of, of what it looks like to unapologetically stand up for the gospel. I think that, uh, you, you have calluses that, that many Christians haven't developed because you've come this far. So you're not afraid of, uh, making, making people mad perhaps. Um, and so, so, but, but I will say this, um, you know, you are based near Atlanta, which is one of the most diverse cities in the United States. And, um, and so, uh, to listeners, I would say, just, just pray for, for Archbishop Beach and and men like him and women like him who, who are ministering in a, in a difficult time in a part of the country and part of the world where, uh, they're having to answer questions that many people aren't having to answer depending on where you are geographically. And so, um, so Archbishop, I, I very much appreciate you being, being with me today. Um, I hope that in the future, maybe whenever the pandemic's over, we can do this again and, and, and maybe it might be in person next time. Um, and uh, I, I very much appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for being with me today. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much as well. And keep up the good work. Appreciate what you're trying to do to get the word out and to get mm. to help Christians uh, be equipped and affirmed and uh, to be able to uh, to live their faith out in the world in which we live. So thanks for the privilege of, of being able to be with you today. Well, well, thank you so much, sir.